The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. How many of you have heard of the show Man vs. Wild? How many of you heard of that show? All right. There's a guy in there. His name is Bear Grylls, and he is a manly man. He's appropriately named Bear. I don't know if that's his birth name or if that's a nickname, but... Bear grills, and Bear is dropped off in the middle of nowhere, whether it be a deserted island or a desert or a forest or a mountain range, and he teaches us how to survive with what he has on him. So it could be like a paper clip and like, a, like gum, a pack of gum, and he'll show you how to build shelter out of it, how to fish with it, how to, you know, how, how to, how to signal for rescue with these things. And uh, it's great because he teaches you all these survival skills, you know, just in case you ever venture outside your TV room and get stuck somewhere and, and need to get out. And so um, this is what the show is. And I love this show. There's only one part that I can't stand. In the show, he's dropped off and he has no food. And so he has to catch his food and he has to eat the craziest food I've ever seen. I actually looked up online to see what were some of the things that Bear Grill has eaten. And I will tell you right now, I can't even name half of them because they, they're inappropriate to be named from up front. But he's eaten the, a rhino beetle. He's eaten fish head soup, animal larva. He's eaten a tick. He was, he was asleep. He woke up, found a tick, grabbed it, and just ate it. Caribou heart, live spiders, yak's blood. I mean, that stuff is disgusting. I, I, I don't know how anyone could eat that. I look at it and I'm like, I would never, I don't care how hungry I am. I would never eat that food. But then again, I haven't been in that situation. If I was that desperate, maybe I would eat that food. In today's passage, Jesus is going to talk about a hunger, a desperate hunger that all of us have, not a physical hunger, but a spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger that cannot be filled with food here on earth, nor beetles or larvae or any of those other things, but a spiritual hunger that can only be filled by God. If you would open up to John chapter 6, if you're in the Red Bible, it's page 891. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 1310. As we look at this passage, it's important to remember what happened at the beginning of John chapter 6 because it connects very much with the discussion that's going to happen here today. At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus performs what's probably his most famous miracle. Jesus multiplies five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000 men, plus children, plus women, so up to 15,000 people. He multiplies this food to feed all of these people. The people are ecstatic and they want to force him to be king. And so Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee and he goes up to a mountain to have a retreat, to pray, to spend time with his heavenly father. Jesus catches up with the disciples by walking on water and then they end up uh, in Capernaum. When they end up in Capernaum, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach there. And as he is teaching, some people come up to him. And these are the people that he had fed just the day before, part of that 5,000 group. And so they come and they have this dialogue, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, before we dig in, 
You'll notice in your bulletin, it says that we are going to read past verse 35, but we are not. Um, It got cut off last night around 9.30. So we're just going to look at verses 25 through 35 this morning. John 6, verse 25. Read along with me, if you would. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this spiritual feasting that you call us to, God, show us our hunger. Reveal to us our spiritual hunger, our spiritual longing. Help us to see your provision in this passage. In Christ's name, amen. Let's start right up at the top. Verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, those that were a part of that miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And then it says, Jesus answered them. And I love that. Jesus answered them. He didn't answer their question. He answered them. And he actually rebukes them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he gives this command. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Why does Jesus rebuke them? They've traveled all this way around the lake to come, to be with him, to see him. And he gives them this rebuke. Why does he do it? Well, let me give you this illustration. I think it will help show us why. When I was a little kid, there was a friend. He lived a few streets away. His name was Eric. And Eric had a swimming pool. All right. Me and Eric, we were okay friends. You know, he, I really liked sports. He wasn't so much into smart sports. He was more like into Legos and things of that sort. And so we didn't play together all that much. But you know what? Eric had a swimming pool. And so I loved to play with Eric because I loved to play with Eric's swimming pool. Eric didn't really come over to my house much, but I went over to his house all the time. See, I wasn't so interested in playing with Eric. I was interested in playing with Eric's swimming pool. And Eric just happened to be there. You say, that's shallow. Of course it is. And that's exactly why the people came to Jesus. They didn't come for Jesus. They came for Jesus' bread. They came because they were hungry, because they didn't know where else to get food. And so they came not for Jesus, but for his 
food. They missed the significance of the feeding of 5,000. You see, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was a sign pointing to the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited Christ that they have been anticipating for thousands of years. And yet they were not drawn to him. They were drawn to the food. You see, many people follow Jesus for many reasons. And many times it isn't because they want Jesus. They want his things. So question for us is this. Why do we follow Jesus? Why are we following Jesus today? Why are you here today? Is it for community? Is it for friendship? Is it because you want to have a clear conscience before God? Because you want to be filled up? Those are all good things. Hungers in our heart given by God. But he says, come for me. Come to encounter Jesus, to be with Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to love Jesus, to worship Jesus. And so we see that when we seek these other things, they're not bad things to seek, but they're bad seeking because we seek them above Jesus. Or even worse, we seek them through Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know what? You may seek these things, but all of it perishes. We all seek stuff that perish. We seek things to fill our soul, to satisfy our hunger. And Jesus says, it perishes. And then he goes on to give this command. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus, will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus tells us, I am approved by the Father to come and give you a superior food. We will see it's a living bread. It is the bread. And so together today, let's be bread inspectors, okay? Let's inspect this bread that Jesus has to offer to us, that Jesus gives to us, and see what it is. First question we want to ask is, what is the bread? Look in verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, Jesus is referring back to a true story from the Old Testament. You see, the people of God were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God came and delivered them out of Egypt, and he brought them to the promised land. Now, this is a nation of people. It's not just five or ten. This is thousands of people. And he brings them to the promised land, and they, they cower. They lack faith. They don't take the promised land. And so God sends them out to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, this nation of people have to be fed in the wilderness for 40 years. There is nowhere where they can find a food supply that can feed them all. And so God, by his gracious mercy, gives them manna every day out there on the grass. They go and they collect it for the day, and they eat it. But they can't keep it longer than a day because then it will rot. And so God provides for them through this. And what Jesus says here is that that bread that God provided for the people of God, it was truly bread. But it's not the true bread. You see, that bread pointed to a greater bread that God provided, a greater provision, a greater feast. It pointed to the true bread. Verse 33 For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, not just to Israel, but to every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus tells us that the bread of life, the superior bread, is not a what, but it is a who. Jesus not only gives the bread, Jesus is the bread. Jesus not only gives the gift, Jesus is the gift. Across the street from me, we had a house that was vacant for about a year. And I was hoping and praying that a family with kids would move in so they could play with our kids and have fun and all of that. Well, instead, this older couple moves in, and she still works a little bit, but he's a retired farmer. His name's Farmer Dave. That's what we call him, or Grandpa Dave. And he has time on his hands. And you know what's better than a house full of kids? A retired farmer with time on his hands. Because I tell you what, I do no house projects without him. This past year, he helped me put a deck on my back, uh, on my back porch. He, he helped me put the ridge, ridge cap on my roof. He helped me move wood, which is a couple-day task from the back to the front so that we can heat our house. You see, when, when Dave walks across that street with his pinstripe blue bib overalls and that flannel shirt and that crooked hat... Dave isn't just bringing me a gift. Dave is the gift. And he helps me fix all these things around my house. Jesus here says, I don't just give you the gift. I am the gift. And he uses this word, I am the bread of life. This is the first of six of Jesus' famous I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. He says these things, and we'll be looking at them as we work through the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Now, when Jesus uses this phrase, I am, it is a very big deal. And we've hinted at it a lot as we've walked through John. But let's just be a little more specific. We have to look back in Exodus chapter 3 to get the full force of this. It should be up here on the screen for you. Exodus 3, verse 13 through 14. You can read along with me. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, Who, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus claims to be the great I am, Jesus is claiming to be the eternal pre-existing God of the universe. The holy almighty one who has created all things. Jesus says, that is me. Matter of fact, at one point in the book of John, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. And the Pharisees pick up stones to kill him because they know he is claiming to be God. And so Jesus is not only giver of the gift, he is the gift himself. You know, we celebrate Christmas. And the good news of Christmas is that God moves into our neighborhood. God comes to live and dwell among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the bread of life that never perishes. And so as bread inspectors, we discover that the bread is Jesus Christ himself, the great I am. Next, we need to ask what nutrients are in this bread? What is beneficial about this bread? Why would we eat of this bread? Verse 
Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The bread of life satisfies our deepest hungers. You see, when we were born, we were not only born with an empty stomach, but we were born with an empty heart, a God-shaped hole in our heart, which we have tried to fill with many things because we are hungry to fill it. If you look back over your life, if you think of, you know, from when you were a child until now, what are the things that you've tried to fill that God-shaped hole with? What have you hungered after, longed after more than God to fill that chasm in your heart? Maybe it's success, climbing the corporate ladder. Maybe it's romance, finding the perfect lover. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol to take away the pain or, or something really good like family to give you purpose and joy. Jesus looks at all these as we try to fill the chasm of our soul with them. And he says, none of them will do it. None of them will satisfy, but I am the bread of life. I will satisfy you. See, the rest of those things are like Snickers bars. You know, does anyone know the slogan for Snickers? Snickers what? Satisfies. Snickers satisfies, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen those fun-sized Snickers bars. I don't know why they call them fun-sized. I might have ranted on this before, I'm not sure, but they're not fun. They're teasers, right? They should be called sample size or something. And there's no way they satisfy. They only leave you hungry for more. All of these other things, all of these good gifts from God, when we eat them, they're great, but they leave us hungry for more. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when you consume me, you will never be hungry again. We're never satisfied with the things of this world. We always need more. Warren Buffett one of the richest men to ever live, was asked this question. He said, how much money is enough, Warren? How much is enough money? And his response was, one dollar more. We're always hungry for more. We always want more. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life and I will satisfy. St. Augustine, if I can twist his words a little bit, would put it like this. Thou, O Lord, has formed us for thyself and our hearts are hungry until they find satisfaction in thee. And so we see one of the nutrients, one of the benefits of the bread of life is that it gives us satisfaction in our soul. It fills the chasm in our hearts. The second thing we see is that the bread gives everlasting life. This is a dominant theme from Jesus. Jesus says, eat this bread and you will live forever. There's, there's several places here in this passage as it, as it goes on beyond what we read today. I just want to read it to you so you can hear how dominant this is in this passage. Verse 27, Jesus says, the food that endures to eternal life is the food I give you. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 50, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. Verse 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Do you think Jesus is trying to communicate something here? Jesus is saying, if you want to have eternal life There's only one way to do it. You must come and you must feed 
on me. You know, bread is a universal food, one of the few universal foods that can be found in just about every culture. In America, we eat, on average, 53 loaves of bread a year. And yet, in biblical times, bread was so much more necessary even than it is today. We can diet from bread. Lots of people do that. But then, they had no choice. Bread was their sustenance. Without it, they would die. And so Jesus says, you know what? You were given manna in the wilderness so that you might live this life. But I will give you manna, my body, my bread, that you might live forever. And this bread gives us eternal life. Tim Keller points out two really significant things about this word life. In, in, our, in our vocabulary, we have two different meanings for the word life. But in the Greek, they actually have two different words to express these two different meanings for life. Let me give you this illustration. Tim tells the story of um, one time he took his seven-year-old son on a business trip, and it was his son's first time on an airplane. And so his son was super excited to go. He gets on the plane, and they take off, and his son really enjoyed the fact that there were airline attendants that would come by and offer to bring him a soda. And so he orders his soda, and it comes, and he gets it, and then he kicks back, kicks his feet up, looks out the window at the clouds below, turns to his dad and said, this is living. This is life, right? What's he saying? He's not saying that, you know, three hours ago I was dead, but now I'm alive. He's saying, this is the quality of life that I was meant to have. See, when we use the word life, sometimes we're talking about duration. Sometimes we're talking about quality. And so there's two words in the Greek, and they'll be up here on the screen. The first is this, bios. The New Testament's written in Greek, okay? So bios merely means the existence of life, something that is physically alive, something that is breathing, okay? Then there is zoe, which is a quality of life, and it is a life only given by God. It is a life full of vitality, a life with a full heart, with the chasm full of God. It is a life devoted to God, blessed by God, full of God for those who trust in Christ. And in John's gospel, the bread of life is the bread of Zoe life. And it gives Zoe life to all who eat of it. You know, none of us want to simply have bios life. None of us want to just exist. Do you? I mean, do you want to just breathe or do you want to live? Hell is this. It is eternal bios. Eternal existence without living. The bread of life comes to give us Zoe life, to give us life to the fullest, to give us abundant life, to fill the God-designed longings of our heart. So, bread inspectors, we have seen that the bread of life is Jesus himself. The nutrients, the benefits of this bread is that it satisfies and it gives us eternal life. But finally, we need to ask a question, how do we get this bread? Do we just go to the store and buy it? What we learn from Jesus is that we have to labor for it, but not in a way that you might be thinking. Look in verse 27 with me. Jesus again says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor 
for the food that endures to eternal life, eternal Zoe, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then the people come and they ask the question that every man, woman, and child, every religion has ever asked God, and it is simply this, verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do? What must we do to be doing works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? This is the question that everyone is asking. What must I do to get this eternal Zoe, to get this life to the fullest? This is what I want. And we chase after millions of things to go and get this life. And all of them do not satisfy. All of them perish. You know, you can look at the different religions and they will tell you how to get the Zoe life, the labor that you must do. Islam will tell you that you must follow these five pillars of the faith. Some will tell you that you have, to, you have to be deep in contemplation. Others will tell you that your good works have to outweigh your bad, that you need to be charitable. This is how you get the Zoe life, they will say. Yet others will say you have to follow certain religious rituals. You have to do everything our way. And if you do it our way, then you will have this Zoe life from God. You have to pray so many prayers, do so many things, and then you can have life abundantly. But the way Jesus answers the question, what must we do? How must we labor to get this eternal life? Is absolutely unique. You cannot look at this passage nor the rest of the scripture and say Christianity is just like every other religion because this is what makes it so extremely unique. Look in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you want to know how to get this Zoe abundant, overflowing, heart-filled, all-surpassing life? Do nothing. Do nothing. Just believe. That's what Jesus says here. That's what's said throughout the scripture. It tells us this, that you do not have to work to attain eternal life from God, but rather you have to believe in the work of God who has attained eternal life for you. You see that? You don't have to work to attain eternal life. You have to believe in the God who has done a work for you to attain eternal life. The work God requires is that we believe in the bread of life, that we consume it, that we internalize Jesus, and that we look to the cross where the bread of life was broken for you and for me, where the bread of life died that we might feast on him and have life in us. Yesterday, I was upstairs working on this sermon, and I heard my middle son, Caleb, knocking on the door, banging on the door, ringing the doorbell, pushing on the door, trying to get in, saying, let me in, let me in. And he's pushing, he's pushing, he's pushing. And finally, Trish gets to the door, and she tries to unlatch the deadbolt, but she can't because he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And she says, Caleb, you have to back up. You have to quit pushing so I can let you in. Some of you have been pushing and pushing and pushing, ringing the doorbell, banging. God, let me in. God, give me this Zoe life. And he's saying, stop pushing. Stop pushing. Back off. Receive it freely. It is nothing that you can do, but it's only the gift of God. I love the great hymn, Rock of Ages. It puts it this way. It says, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite known? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin do not atone. Thou must save 
and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. This is such good news, isn't it? It is such good news that it is not up to you to earn this Zoe life because you could never measure up to God's perfection. But he offers it to you for those who believe, who receive the bread of life. So how do we get this bread? Not by our own labors, but simply by believing in the bread of life who died for us. Let me end with this story. It's a story of a Scotsman who was coming to America and he bought this ticket to take this great ocean liner across the sea. He didn't have a lot of money, so he thought, you know what, I'm going to pack some food for myself so I don't have to spend money because I don't have a lot to, to spend. So he packed some crackers and he packed some cheese and he packed some fruit. And for the first few days, it was okay eating the crackers and cheese and fruit. But as the days went on, you can imagine the crackers got stale, the cheese started to mold, and the fruit started to spoil. So as they got closer to America, he thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to have one great meal. I'm going to splurge. I'm going to go down to the dining hall, and I'm going to, I'm going to eat my fill. Well, he gets down to the dining hall. And much to his surprise, the food is all free. <laughs> it was included in the price of the ticket. He was feasting on crackers and moldy cheese and rotten fruit when there was a buffet just waiting for him. You may be here today and you have been feasting on crackers, moldy cheese, fruit. Maybe you have tried to fill your hungers with success, with romance with fill in the blank, whatever it might be. What Jesus says about all those things is that they perish. They perish. They all spoil. And he says, come to me, the bread of life, which never spoils. He says, come to me. It is free. Come. I have paid the price. Come to the feast. Feed on me the bread of life. And as you consume Jesus, he will consume you. Let's pray. Lord God, we come confessing to you that we do go many places to satisfy our souls, Lord. Many good places, God, like family and friends. And yet, Lord, we know that none of it satisfies. All of it's a good gift from you, Lord, but there is only one thing that satisfies the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that as we go from here, God, that we would feast on you. Lord, if, if any of us are spiritually anemic, God, it is because we have failed to feast on you. Let us this week eat the bread of life and glory in that. In Jesus' name, amen.